Thank you for tuning into this edition of Lit These Days, presented by the Mark Literary Review. I'm your host and editor of the Mark Literary Review, Jessica Pergett. This week, I talked to Charles Carter, a poet who has quite a few collections out now or forthcoming very soon. We talk about how to get published, how to know when a poem is finished, and how to find literary magazines to submit to once your work is finished. I hope you enjoy. So you have a, a new poetry collection out now, and it's called Splinters. And one of the poems was actually published in the Mark before it was published in this collection. And I was just wondering if you would go ahead and, and read that poem. Yeah, no problem. All right. This is Earth. The creature walks barefoot on this earth, feeling a connection to the dirt, stepping softly, leaving paw prints that fade away with the rain. The creature takes just what it needs from the earth and nothing more. When her time comes, she lies down and dies, leaving her body exposed, unafraid to be devoured by the vultures because she knows that her spirit will then fly. Man walks with feet covered in waterproof boots, forging a barrier between himself and the earth, afraid to get dirty. He stamps through the jungle, flora and fauna falling at his feet, bringing down whole ecosystems as he exists. He makes his harsh mark on this world. He takes more than what he needs, devours all that he can, because if he is distracted by excess, fast cars, iPhones, the finest of fashion, he will not have to face his own wrongdoings. When man's time comes, he is buried in the earth, hiding his spirit house, preventing his spirit from flying free. Wow, I really love that poem. Could you talk a little bit about kind of how that poem came to be? Um, that poem came to be in, much of Splinters came to be in my, I did two graduate poems back to back, kind of foolishly, I don't know. Um, but um, I found myself really wanting, navigating towards kind of eco poetry and wanting to you know, deal with ideas of naturalism and um, even transcendentalism and just mankind's connection with nature. Um, and I kind of got in this kick where I was in looking at the natural, like earth, wind, water, and fire, those natural elements. And I kind of did those as a series and so just playing around with those ideas. This one came out and was really just kind of focused on that disconnect between mankind and nature, how we try and distance ourselves and then distract ourselves with our quote unquote higher intelligence. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And how did you get started as a poet? I can't like exactly pinpoint the moment in time, but. Um, I've always had an interest for reading and writing from a very young age. Um, in elementary school, I was really into like telling stories and illustrating stories. And I think more middle school age, the onset of puberty and more intense emotions and kind of navigated more a lot closer to poetry and song lyrics. Um, so I was really into that throughout middle school and high school, kind of more emo stuff, emotional based poetry. And I just kind of, wrote here and then throughout high school um, in my undergrad and afterwards and I would just write occasionally and just for me um, and then eventually I decided to go back for a master's degree and I decided to do creative writing and like I was going to do that for me and that's kind of sparked me into the world of starting to share my poetry. Did you ever publish something that you wrote way back in middle school or high school? Um, I did have a couple very early publications, like very minor things. Like in elementary school, I remember Zoo books. I don't know if those are even a thing anymore. <laughs> I've never um, heard of those. 
Never heard of them? All right. They were like a monthly animal magazine. So like you'd get, you'd pay for a year or two years subscription or whatever, and you'd get one in the mail and it would just be an animal, like one month it was gorillas or whatever. And you could, they took kids, or kids' writings and drawings you could send in and they'd do a little paper insert. And I remember like one of my little stories, like when I was very young, like kindergarten, I think, ended up in there. Middle school and high school, I had a couple of poems and like regional young people compilations or anthologies. And I did, I don't really talk about this much, but I did dabble in self-publication right after high school. But I'm kind of embarrassed by the work that came out of that. I think I just wanted to see my stuff in print. And I've really grown as a writer by going through my my graduate programs and getting into that workshop process and really seeing like how my work might relate to the world and how to make that more presentable. Yeah, I can definitely relate to the um, being embarrassed by your past writing part because I'm 23 now, but I remember a couple years ago, I wrote some poems and I went back and I read them and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, (laughs) this is terrible. Why was I so angry? So I, I totally get being embarrassed by your past writing. Um, so kind of my next question was, uh, you have a lot of poetry collections that were published recently or they're forthcoming very soon. Uh, can you kind of walk me through those and how you came to get them picked up by publishers? I, I don't have an agent or anything like that. It's just all been me researching and networking and figuring out who's accepting work and just sending it out there. Um, so it's just kind of been my process, researching, Googling, networking, and submitting work anywhere that I think I can. Um, and I kind of organize that with a Google spreadsheet where I keep track of where I've submitted things. And just and that's kind of been something I've learned to carve out time for. The pandemic, when that hit, really allowed me time because I had to work at home or work was on pause as an educator for a minute mm-hmm. um, when the pandemic first hit. So um i've just kind of made that a regular thing when i have stuff to submit to carve time on the weekends or evenings to submit either you know a group of poems or something larger if i've got that piece together um and that's a lot more technical and not quite as creative and fun but it's worth it when the acceptances roll in uh and i've been blessed to have a lot happen very quickly my first literary magazine publications were released in the spring of 2020 so just about a year ago um, and the Mark Literary Review is one of my first ones, but there. Uh, and then, I mean, this spring already, um, in March, I had two chapbooks come out. One of them is called Chasing Sunshine, which was first published last month by Lazy Adventure Publishing. And that one's really focused on coming of age gay in the American Midwest. Um, the second one that I read from at the top of the interview is called Splinters. Um, that also came out March, and it came out from Kelsey Books. And that one, I guess, is really focused on kind of the connection between humankind and the natural world, um, kind of recognizing the similarities, but also kind of drawing a line in the sand with the differences, um, which I think Earth is really good at seeing those differences between um, humankind and how we don't necessarily relate to nature. Um, I actually, since we were setting up this interview, I actually had a special project that I collaborated on collaborated on with my husband who's an artist um, that just got picked up and it's a short series of haikus and he did some illustrations for it Uh, that's called safety pinned hearts and that's going to come out sometime in the near future from alien buddha press i really like that title 
safety pin hearts, yeah. <laughs> and then I've got two more chat books. Um, one's coming out at the very end of this year from Word Tech Edition. That's really a very dark collection. I went to a dark place writing that, and it really focuses on homophobia and transphobia in the U.S. And then lastly, towards the end of 2022, my first full-length collection is going to come out from David Robert Books. So a lot's come out very quick. A lot of your poems that appear in Splinters, and I'm assuming a lot of the poems that appear in, in all of your collections, they were published by literary magazines. And I'm kind of just wondering, how do you choose which ones that you've published with literary magazines to put into your collections? Kind of like when I first started my graduate programs, like I was totally like, I'm just doing this for me, like to grow as a writer for myself. I don't care if the rest of the world sees it. I didn't really see myself as someone who would really get anywhere with publishing. Um, and, and I think that was just because I didn't really know how the publishing world worked. So I didn't really have that idea. But then, I mean, because poetry is really therapeutic for me. A lot of times, like Chasing Sunshine in particular, is a lot of my own personal trauma that I'm working through in my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then sometimes, like Splinters, it's just more like trying to make sense of the world. Um, so poetry is a lot of different things for me. Um, and then towards the end of my MFA, an instructor shared a link with several literary magazines to submit to and when the pandemic hit like i said i i found myself with time so i really took the time to submit and put a few poems out there and when i started to get some success like a dozen poems picked up or whatever i saw that oh my my stuff is worth sharing and i tried to kind of look at the idea of chat books first because that seemed far less intimidating than trying to put together a full-length collection and as a reader, I, I love reading a chapbook because it's like it's like an album. You can just sit with it half hour, 45 minutes, you're through it, you get the full experience. Um, so I really love reading chapbooks. So I just started looking at the poems that were successful and then the other ones I had laying around that I liked. And maybe I just hadn't got those being sent out or whatever yet. And I just saw a couple of themes emerging. Um, one of them, the really naturalist themes. So I kind of collected those together for splinters. Another one, I kind of had a lot of like queer coming of age poems, so that became Chasing the Sunshine. Um, so those first two, that's how they came about. And I just kind of had the idea, well, if one of our magazines liked them, if they were good enough to be picked up, then they're good enough and worth putting out there and have life in another way in the form of the chat book. So that's really like my first two that came out, how they came to be. My other ones that are coming out haven't had as much, and I think that's because I had the idea for a book ahead of time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't have quite as many of that, but I'm kind of out of book ideas. So I think I'm at the point where I'm going to just kind of experiment and write things. And I probably will be sending more out to literary journals and seeing, taking some time to do that, seeing what comes out that might build up to something bigger later. Yeah. And kind of piggybacking off that last question. So when you're, when you have all these poems, you know, they're kind of just, they're not in a specific order yet. How do you choose the order that you want them to appear in your collections? Oh boy. Ordering is tricky um, and can be very overwhelming the more you think about it. Um, that's just kind of asking the question, like how do these poems speak to one another? How do they build? What's gained or lost by putting poems maybe that are very similar thematically or have similar motifs close together spreading them apart and what order do you put those in does that theme kind of build or does it fizzle if you put them in the wrong order 
Um, so the first couple of manuscripts that I put together, I tried to really just kind of, I really didn't necessarily know what I was doing. I was just kind of going by what I read and seen or what I, what felt right. Um, so a lot of it was like just seeing what went well together and I kind of like my very best or what I thought were my best pieces. I kind of tried to spread them out a little bit so that there was a little variety throughout, I guess. Um, so that everything just the best ones weren't necessarily chunked together all beginning or end. Um, my most recent manuscripts that I've been working on are a little more organized. Um, Splinters, for example, actually was one of my last ones to be picked up. It was one of my first ones to be released. It happened pretty quick. Um, I actually ordered that one based on the natural elements. Like if you actually look at the poems, the first handful are all very earth oriented. Uh, the next set are very fire or wind, then fire, and then the last chunk of poems are water. And I think if it was a, a bigger collection, I would have actually physically broke them up in different sections. But since it was so short, I just felt that maybe wouldn't have been the best choice. And then my full length manuscript, I'm really learning a lot. I'm workshopping with a friend who has a chapbook she's putting together and we're just really getting deep into ordering with that. And it's been so rewarding and eye-opening to see and have those conversations with someone else instead of just doing it by myself. Um, that collection has a little bit of chronology to it. So I've got it split into three sections and like I said, there's some chronology, so it kind of builds naturally. But even within those parts, it's been interesting to have conversations about, oh, but when you put this first, then this this doesn't quite work or this doesn't it feels anticlimactic. So moving one piece around can be a lot. And what you open or end the section with can be very important. Like I said, that's just been eye-opening to have an extra brain and heart to work with to point out little intricacies and the implications when ordering comes to a larger collection. So I kind of feel like a ramp. Ordering is tricky, and I don't know if I know that there's a right answer. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm sure it's probably different for everybody. I just wanted to kind of know your process behind that. And you talked about that you have a friend that you work with to order the pieces. Uh, do you show anyone your poems while you're working on them? Or do you kind of wait until they're finished and then you show them to people? I do show my work with people when I'm writing with them. Um, but I keep that group kind of small. Um, my husband is someone I usually like I share everything with him pretty much. Like, hey, I wrote a couple of poems today, listen to him. Um, and he's not as into poetry as me, but I'll get some general starter feedback for him. Um, and I've had a couple, I'm an English teacher, I've had a couple of colleagues who, I mean, they know literature well, they would not necessarily write poets themselves, but they, I mean, know literature well and appreciate literature. So they can sometimes give me some feedback. Um, but I'm not really in any like writers groups per se. A lot of what came out of Splinters, though, because there were a lot of those pieces came from my my MA and my MFA programs. A lot of those felt like they were writing groups just because the structure of workshops and classes and a lot of times the same people were in some of those classes. So, But over the last few months, that friend I've been workshopping with, we've been working over Zoom. Um, she lives a state away. And like I said, she's got a chat book she's putting together and she hasn't sent it out to publishers yet. My full length's already been accepted, but I don't know. I'm just feeling like this full length is going to be like the best thing I've put out there just because we've been really leveling up with each other by having to look at that with one another. And it's just been so helpful. And I think once we get to the point where we're done with these manuscripts, we're going to look at individual pieces raw and naturally as they first come out, maybe give each other some prompts or ideas and just like a very brand new pieces together. 
One of my other questions for you is, you know, I, I write poetry sometimes. I'm not I'm not a huge writer. I really love reading. I have had a few uh, poems accepted from in different literary magazines, but kind of something that I struggle with when I'm writing is I never know when my poem is finished. I always keep tweaking it and, and messing with it, and I never know when to leave it alone. So one of my questions for you was, uh, how do you know when your poems are finished? I kind of have the idea that a poem's never really finished, and I think that's kind of a common trait in the poetry world, that a poem's never really finished. I mean, there's a lot of really notable poets who continue to revise their work or re-released a book or, you know, took poems and re-released them again and changed them up. So, I mean, I go through several drafts of a poem, for sure, and I try and workshop them and really scrutinize them, and I like to give them space in time, like I very rarely am like, oh my God, I love this poem I wrote yesterday. Let's put it out there. I want to tuck it away a little bit and then look at it later on with fresh eyes. So I think time is a very important concept when it comes to self-revision is at least then you're, you have some distance. You're not in the same mind frame. So you are a little more able to scrutinize because you're not in that same headspace. Otherwise, I think if you're in that same headspace, you know exactly what you mean, what you want. So it's hard to self-revise. And I mean, I think it just takes multiple drafts for me and then it gets to the point where I'm like, this is publishable. It's ready. I want to share it. But that doesn't mean I think it's perfect and it won't change. Um, there's actually a few poems from my first two chapbooks, Splendors and Chasing Sunshine, that I'm going to pull into my full length. And they've had changes, some bigger than others. but And some of them from Literary Magazine to Chatbooker, my full length I'm working on, have faced some changes too. I think there's just that opportunity to level them up that a poem can always improve some way or see life in a different way. I think what you said about waiting and just giving the poem time to breathe makes sense. Like kind of going back to what I said before about being embarrassed about what I wrote two years ago. I'm so glad that I didn't put those out there at all. (laughs) But then sometimes you look back and you're like, oh my God, like, yeah, that's not great, but there's something good there. Mm -hmm. Like, little nugget of gold you can pull out and make something better. We talked a lot about your poems, but what are your favorite poetry collections from other people? I've been, like, since the pandemic hit, like, I I like to think I'm an introvert, but apparently I'm not quite as introverted as I thought because it really weighed on me to have to stay home. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did a lot of of reading over the past year, a lot, and most of it has been poetry. Um, So a lot of the some of the recent collections I've really enjoyed are um, Prelude to Bruise by Sadie Jones is probably my favorite. Um, the Don't Call Us Dead by Dana Smith is really good. Lost and Found by Gwen Hart is really good. Gwen Hart, she used to teach in the area that I live in, and I've actually had some correspondence with her. So she's probably not very well known, but Lost and Found, Gwen Hart. She writes love poems, and she does them really well. Love poems are so tough, and but she... She does them without being corny or cheesy. She's an expert at writing love poems. So if you're into love poems, check out her. Joy Harjo is wonderful. I really fell in love with An American Sunrise, which is one of her most recent collections. And I've actually brought that into my high school classroom. Like I'm actually teaching a collection of poetry, which is something I've never in my high school career didn't see happen. So I'm kind of excited to bring more poetry into our curriculum. And then another great one, is Drowned, A Mermaid's Manifesto by Teresa Davis. She's wonderful. She's a great spoken word poet if you 
if anyone's interested in looking her up on YouTube. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to write and publish poetry? Um, I think just for like, if someone's just beginning writing, so like my beginning writer advice would be to just start by writing for yourself. And I mean, nourish that kind of love and fondness for it. Because I think when it comes to publication, you got to have a thicker skin. So I mean, just nourish that love for yourself for the writing and the love of it um, first and finding a way to make writing a regular practice just to try out different things and experiment and play with form and structure and genre and get out of your comfort zone. Um, sometimes I've had some really cool stuff that I'm really proud of the end result by doing something I wouldn't think would be my type of poem or my cup of tea. And like sometimes great stuff comes out of just getting out of where we're comfortable. Um, and then I guess for those seeking publication, I would encourage workshop. Don't be an island. And most poets, sometimes it's hard to find people because we're all busy. But if you find someone who's willing, even just a friend or somebody you met on social media, just to share work with and discuss, you can really strengthen your own skills. And I think reading, reading what's popular, reading what's successful kind of helps you see what's working, what's not as well. I think just as far as like studying skills, like I said, it could just be reading, workshopping with local acquaintances. I really found a lot of value in my graduate programs and the classes I took, but I know that's not an option for everyone or not some, maybe someone's not that hardcore. And I don't think you have to have an MFA to be a successful poet by any means. But I think for me, those programs allowed me to see how much revision and feedback was so important because I don't think I'd ever really revised a poem until I started my graduate work in creative writing and that's so hard to sometimes do the revision and feedback process to get used to that because feedback and suggestions can like oftentimes trigger defensiveness in us because we a lot of us cope with our poetry like even if it's not 100% reality like a piece of us went into that so it's hard to to accept that and I think again that's where space and time comes in handy like sometimes in workshops it's good to just okay give me your feedback I'm going to write it down or keep the notes you sent me I'm going to tuck it away a minute because my initial thought is to be defensive so I'm going to tuck it away and look at it in a week or in a month when I'm ready for it and I think the more you do that feedback process the more you kind of open yourself up to that feedback that criticism without being so defensive right away because you seriously level up by having good people to workshop with and get feedback from. Um, so I think just don't rush things too much. Give your own space to breathe, like I said before. Return to them. Um, that space helps the revision process. And when you think it's time to submit, like I encourage people to submit everywhere. Like I think there was one bout where I tried to submit things, but I was only submitting to like the really big names who like probably only take like two percent of what's submitted so like mm -hmm. really unlikely to get your work published there even if it's amazing um because i'm sure you could speak to that as a an editor like it's hard you probably see wonderful things that you reject just because you don't have the space that's just you or something too similar you've done recently so like you see brilliant stuff that i'm sure you reject and it's hard not to take that personally so i think i don't just submit to the big dogs submit to the smaller and newer and fresher there are magazines too, and there's so many out there. And I think social media has really opened that up. And I think a lot of that's grown even in the pandemic, that more people are reading poetry and writing poetry, and there's a lot of support out there. So I think if you look for it, you will find it. And 
And I don't think really poets are that competitive with each other, with each other either, like even in a competitive space, because what I bring to a competition is going to be so much different than what you bring. And it's like comparing apples and oranges. You just can't really compare. So I think there's a lot of love and support out there if you look for it. I think poets were all just sharing our hearts. Yeah, that's definitely something that I've gotten to know kind of being an editor of a literary magazine is there are so many different magazines out there and we're all so supportive of each other. And that's kind of, that's why I do this really is, is because I'm making those connections with other people and, and kind of, you know, just having someone to talk to about literature is really great because, you know, in my family and even my, my boyfriend, they're not interested in poetry or short stories or anything like that. So kind of having that community to talk to is really great. And I know that, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of little small magazines that you can submit to. And it, it can be really difficult, I think, to find one that's that's good for your piece. So I kind of just want to put in a little a little plug for myself here in this part of the episode that I do a weekly list of literary magazines that are open for submissions. So that goes out every Sunday morning and you can find that on the Mark's blog. And yeah, so you can just find those magazines that are open and then submit to them. And I think a lot of people find that uh, very helpful. So yeah, that's my little plug for myself. But we're going to go get back on the road here. Um, There were two poems that really caught my eye when I was reading Splinters. And I was wondering if you would be able to read When I Dream of the Ocean and Garden of Gods. Yeah, sure. You want me to talk about them first, like where they came from? or Yeah, sure. That'd be great. Okay. So these poems actually are both called Mirats, which is a type of poem nobody's heard of, I don't think. Um, I think I just happened to have the right teacher in one of my classes who knew about these. So the Mirat is a Thai poem. So I was taking an Asian poetry class and it's a Thai poem, very specific. Um, They're typically three line stanzas. Oftentimes there's rhyming in the first and third line or near rhyming. And the content of the poem is always about someone who is usually traveling, looking at beautiful scenery, beautiful settings, beautiful places, but missing someone. And traditionally it's missing someone who's at home. Maybe it's, you know, a husband traveling and missing his wife at home looking at the moon and the beautiful trees around and why can't I have the beauty of my person who's not with me? Um, and I don't necessarily stick to that literal traveling part of this, but um, that's kind of the inspiration of them was exploring the near act. When I dream of the ocean, when I dream of the ocean, I dream of your face. I dream of the scent of sunscreen, sensual hands on back, Closed eyes kissed by the shine of another sunny day. When I dream of the ocean, I dream of the smooth caramel sand spackled on the back of your bright white legs, freckled like fresh strawberry lemonade, like the back of your hands. When I dream of the ocean, I dream of the high tide that washed away the sand from our feet and the gleam from your chocolate pudding eyes. When I dream of the ocean, I dream of tropical storms, of tidal waves and riptides and hurricanes, taking away all that is good and sunny and warm. When I dream of the ocean, I dream of your broken sandals found in the estuary. I thought you were lost to the sea. Until I saw you in that Midwestern cafe, you were not lost to the sea, only lost by choice. Lost, lost to me. 
All right, and the next one is called Garden of the Gods, which is a real place in southern Illinois in the Shawnee National Forest. Um, it has this rock-shaped formation is what it's known for. So you can Google that or travel there. It's kind of a cool place to hike and see. Um, so that's kind of the setting of this one. So this is Garden of the Gods. I stand upon this rock where we had our second date. Then both spent and energized from lovemaking, dazed by the camel-shaped formation, the gods' fate, that brought us here miles from any sound but these beating hearts, longing to be lost in each other's touch. Again, we climbed higher, fell deeper, believing we would never part. But as the space between the camel's hump and its head grows, so does the space between us now, both physical and beyond the space, this emptiness, this forest full of woes, every year so unfolds to their death. Dazed by the dizzying distance below, I find my footing, pondering what hope for us there is left. I really love those poems. I think when I read the line about the camel, or just as the camel's neck, or some something like that. I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact <laughs> the exact line. But when I read that line, I was like, "Wow, this is great." Thank you. I appreciate it. So if people want to buy Splinters, where can they find it? Um, Splinters is available on Amazon. That's probably the quickest way to get it, but you can order directly from the publisher. It just takes a little longer. Um, and the publisher is Kelsey Books. So you can visit their website, kelseybooks.com, and that's Kelsey, K-E-L-S-A-Y, books.com. Okay, awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your night to speak with me about your your collection. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate everything that you do putting work out there. And I think it's just really awesome what you do as far as like promoting other literary magazines too. And just helping us all share our hearts. <laughs>